So Jess is going to come and read Nehemiah 8. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the teacher of the law stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashpadana, Zechariah, and Meshalam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sharabiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Elita, Azariah, Jozabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should pray proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns in, and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and form myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that have returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. We almost broke out in applause. I think that was very good, Jess. Well done. Very good. Um, yeah, Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm really looking forward uh, to speaking on this uh, this morning. Um, I don't know if you've been here on the journey with us through 
uh, one, chapters 1 to 7 so far. Um, but we've been following Nehemiah as he has returned from exile, uh, from the land of Babylon, and he's rebuilding the walls. Ezra had come before him. Ezra had rebuilt the temple uh, and then uh, built a community. And now Nehemiah had come in and rebuilt the walls around uh, the city. And they've done a great job. Ezra and Nehemiah have done a fantastic job. Um, But we see uh, in Ezra that he's built the, the temple, he's built the community, Nehemiah's built the walls. And if that's all that they were meant to do, then it's job done. We could finish there at Nehemiah chapter 7, once the the, the register's been taken of everyone there, job done. But it's not job done. We've got chapter 8 and we've got the rest of the book of Nehemiah to to come. So before I go any further, can I encourage you, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, flick open to Nehemiah chapter 8. If you've got it on your phone, uh, get it, uh, switch it on, do whatever. I always find it helpful Uh, when we're going through a book like this, or any book, when we're speaking on it, to have it there in front of you so you can follow. Uh, And I'm going to pray before I go any further. Our Father, thank you that we can gather around your word this morning, uh, whether here in the building together, or online as a community, on the internet. Thank you that we have your word to gather around. Thank you that your word has power. Thank you that your word changes lives. And I pray, Lord, for your spirit to help us as we open your word to our hearts. Would your spirit open our hearts to your word? We need your help, Lord. Thank you that you give it to us by your spirit. Amen. We see the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the walls, that was not job done. The, The purpose of God's kingdom never was to build a physical temple or to build walls or just to, to build a community of people living together. No, God's kingdom was and is today so much more than that. It's more than just us meeting together in a building. It's more than meeting together in in people's homes once or twice a week. What we see as we look at chapter 8 is the spiritual rebuilding of a people that needed to happen desperately. It's a spiritual rebuilding of a people. So we go from dealing with physical stones that build the walls and the temple to the living stones of the people. Chapter 8 is the beginning we see of the spiritual renewal that was so needed uh, in the lives of God's people. They are in desperate need of renewal. And that renewal comes about in exactly the same way Back then, as it does today, the same way that it happens, it comes through the hearing and receiving of God's word. That's what we we see in the heart of chapter 8. As Jess was reading it, I don't know if you saw, at the heart of chapter 8, we see them bringing out God's word 
hearing it and responding to it. And that's uh, what we're going to do, uh, spend a little bit of time this morning looking at, at those two things. I've got two headings uh, that I'm going to be kind of covering this morning. The first thing I think we see in, in chapter 8 is a hunger for God's word. We see a real hunger among the people. And then we see the response to God's word. There's a hunger and there's a response. Actually, there's a, there's a few responses that we'll see. But I'm going to start with the hunger. Can you look down with me, uh, if you've got it open there or switched on, verse 1 of chapter 8. I'm going to read it again. It says, All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Now, of all the things that you think they might ask Ezra for at this point, a rest, a holiday, some downtime after the rebuild, they must have been exhausted. They, they must have been spent. But what did they ask for? Or like a runner finishing a mar marathon, grabbing for some water, or like a soldier returning from war, embracing his family, or a student after a long day of lessons and lectures reaching out for the TV remote. What do God's people, ravaged by exile, weary from rebuilding, reach out for? They reach out for God's word. But what is it, what is it about God's word that made them so desperate to have Ezra read it to them? Because I don't think... I might be wrong, but I don't think these Jews were asking Ezra for a casual read of the history of their nation because it's a nice thing to do, like looking at a, a photo album for, for sentimentality's sake. I don't think it was a ritual nod to their ancestors uh, that they just wanted to incorporate, to tag on, to, you know, uh, at the end of their rebuild, let's just do this for the sake of ceremony. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think they wanted to hear God's word because they knew God's word has power. They knew that God's word written in scripture had power, the power needed to cement these people together, to, to bring about the spiritual renewal of God's people. They knew that was going to come through the hearing and receiving of his word. And a quick thing on God's word here. Um, in Nehemiah, we're seeing the people we see. It's called the, uh, the book of the law of Moses. In our Bibles, that's the first five books. They're asking for Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When we speak of, of God's word in the church today, uh, we're talking about Genesis right through to Revelation. But, but going back uh, to these people asking for God's word, they've remembered. Uh, and let's not forget ourselves that without God's word, that the people of God themselves wouldn't have existed. They wouldn't have had a temple. They wouldn't have had walls to build. They just, without God's word, they were nothing. The Israelites here in chapter 8 knew how the universe was created by God's word. The Israelites here in chapter 8 knew how mankind was created by God's word. 
The Israelites here in chapter 8 knew how their nation was formed. They knew how Abraham was instructed to leave the land of Ur to go to Canaan by God's word. They knew God's word had power. Power to create, power to save, power to establish, and power to sustain his people. Because the, this book, these words, they're not, it's not just ink on a page. It's living. It's active. These are the words of the living God. When this book is read and rightly proclaimed, we hear God speak. This morning, are you expecting to hear God speak as we open his word? As we study it, as we prayerfully look at it, God is speaking through it. And God's word has power. And these Israelites, it seems that they knew that. That's why they wanted Ezra to read it. That's why they hungered for it. That's why we see in in verse 3 that they listened to it attentively. That's why we see the early church in Acts chapter 2 devoting themselves to it. They knew God's word had power. And that's why as God's people today, we disregard this at our peril. If God's kingdom back then was renewed and grew as a result of their hunger for God's word... God's kingdom will grow today when we hunger for, when we hear and respond to God's word. This book should never be an optional extra for the church. This book should never be secondary or peripheral, something we give a nod to because that's what we should do. This book should be central to all that we do. Without God's word at the heart of our gatherings, without God's word at the heart of our lives, we cannot expect to grow the way God intends us to. Like a car without petrol, like a flower without water, without God's word, we're powerless and unable to grow. And I don't mean, when when we're saying hearing God's word, it's not there just to fill our heads with information. It's not there, uh, I often describe it as, as just becoming spiritually fat with information and intellect. We don't just open our Bibles because it's got some nice stories in it. No, when we open God's word, we ask God's spirit to change us, to shape us, to grow us, and to stir in us a heart of worship. Which leads me to my second point, which is about our response to God's word. It's not just uh, opening God's word, having a hunger for it, but it's also how we respond to it. And we're going to see a few responses uh, in chapter 8, and I think all of the responses are relevant to us as a church today. And I wonder if you saw the first one in verse uh, 6 of chapter 8. If you you didn't, have a look down at verse 6 with me. You see, the people bowed down and worshipped the Lord 
with their faces to the ground. Something um, I often say when it comes to ministry, you might have heard me say it before, I don't know, but I always go back to the fact that the work of God is done by the word of God. But as I was thinking about this, and as I was preparing this, I thought of something else to go along with that, that the worship of God is always a response to the word of God. The worship of God is always a response to the word of God. When we hear God's word, worship follows. We see it throughout scripture. And when I say worship, I don't just mean singing a song. Uh, We see Paul in his letter to the church in Rome. He tells the believers that their true and proper worship in light of the gospel is offering their whole life to God. We should never reduce worship to the songs we sing on a Sunday morning. If you're a Christian here this morning or watching online, if you're a Christian, your whole life is an act of worship. So when God's word convicts us, maybe of our impatience with our children or with our parents or our siblings, our patience, the next time they irritate us, is an act of worship. When God's word reveals to us God's majesty, a moment of silence in awe of him is worship. Worship comes as a response to hearing God's word. I use an example there of, of perhaps being, when we read God's word, being convicted of something, and, and that's something else that we see as a response. It's my second response that we see uh, that I'm, I'm going to speak about now. Um, I don't know how I'm doing for time, but I, something I thought as, as Jess was reading as I was looking at this, did you notice how Ezra uh, read from, uh, was it daybreak till noon, which I think is about six hours. So I hope you've not got lunch plans because I'm going to be a while. Um, no, I, I, I hopefully won't be that long. But my second point on the, on the response um, is this idea of conviction. God's word convicts. I just want to have a, a brief aside, though, because before we get to that point of conviction, um, did you also notice during this kind of mammoth reading, this daybreak till noon, six-hour uh, sermon, if you like, or preach or, or reading of God's word, whatever you want to see, uh, call it, Um, Did you notice what else was going on in verse 8? Look at verse 8 with me. Um, We see the Levites reading the word, making it clear, and giving the meaning. Now, certainly some of this would have involved translation, because uh, the Jews returning from exile uh, would have been speaking, in all likelihood, Aramaic, and God's word was written in Hebrew, so there would have been a degree of translation going on. But there's more to it than just translation. The Levites helped to give the meaning of the word so that the people understood what was being read. Now, this seems to me what um, we might call today is the work of exposition. These people were studying God's word. In small groups, we see them, the Levites, going around almost section 
by section of God's word, teaching them, helping them to understand what was going on. And it would be easy to glance over that. But we can take a couple of things from that, I think, that first of all, we can understand God's word. I don't know how many of you um, might say, well, yeah, I can read some of this, but some of it is just beyond me. Maybe even Leviticus. That these people under the the tutelage or the tuition of, of these older, wiser Christians are, are understanding God's word. Maybe not, and in, in all honesty, never perfectly, not yet. But God's word can be understood. And the second thing is it can be understood, but also are you involved in a, in a small group are you involved in, in sitting under God's word with someone to explore it section by section, reading, to understand what God is saying? If not, can I encourage you to do that? We've got life groups here at the church. Uh, there are, are many people here within uh, the church family who I'm sure, even over Zoom in the days that we're in at the moment, who would love to read God's word with you, to dig into it, to understand it together with you and to ask God uh, for it to, to change your life. But yeah, I'm going to continue now. So we, we, we hit verse 9 and we see a response. And I'm going to call it conviction. Because they've not fallen asleep in the pews. They've not started wondering if the chicken's burning in the oven at home. They've not started subtly scrolling through Facebook or playing a game of Among Us. If you're over the age of 18, you might not know what that is. Um, their reaction, their response is they've begun to, to mourn. They've begun to weep. Verse 10 describes it as grieving, as grief. We, it, they are a mess. <laughs> They're hearing and understanding the word of God in Genesis through to Deuteronomy and the spirit is convicting them of all that they have forgotten and reminding them of all the ways that they have not listened to God and just rejected him. And I was, I was interested to see what, what is it possibly that, that could have been going on there? And as I was flicking through Genesis uh, through to Deuteronomy myself. Uh, I hit Deuteronomy chapter 28, and I thought, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they'd got to this point in the reading. See, chapter 28, maybe later on you can read the whole thing, but it's, it's tough. It's a reminder of God, uh, as he told uh, their ancestors, that if they disobeyed God, he would drive them and the king that they had set over them to a nation unknown, and that they would become a thing of horror, a byword, an object of ridicule. It's hard reading, and I dare say, as they read, they thought, that's us. That's what's happened to us. 
as the Babylonians came and, and ravaged us, destroyed our city, God was true to his word. And they're convicted and they grieve their sin. See, conviction of sin is never comfortable. And I'm sure the Israelites would have preferred Ezra to have just skipped that bit. That's an uncomfortable bit. Let's just breeze past that. But their grief is not the end point. And for Christians today, as for the people of God's kingdom back then, conviction of sin is necessary, but it is not sufficient for life in God's kingdom. We see that Ezra and the teachers tell the Israelites not to mourn or weep. Not because grief was wrong, but because it's not the whole story. Later, in Deuteronomy 30, the Israelites would have been reminded of the promise that God made that even if they had been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there, the Lord would gather them and bring them back. You might even remember, if you were here for, for the first week, in Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, Nehemiah asked God to remember that very promise. And the reason Nehemiah tells the Israelites to stop grieving is right there in chapter 10. Uh, chapter 10, verse 10. Because the joy of the Lord is their strength. And this is where I'm going to finish this morning. Don't worry, it's not much, much longer to go. You see, Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites knew that a right understanding of God in his word would bring joy. Not because of anything the Israelites had done, but only because of who God is. They wanted the Israelites to see that God's word does not just convict of sin, but it also shows what God has done to overcome that sin. One person I heard put it like this, the word of God doesn't just show us where we failed, it shows us where our saviour has succeeded. Succeeded to deal with our sin and bring us into his joy. And when we talk about the joy of the Lord, let's be clear at what we're talking about. You see, since before the creation of the world, the eternal union between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that union has been one of joy. Where you and I maybe experience joy as the result of receiving something or maybe participating in a fun activity God experiences joy within himself. It's God's nature to be joyful. He doesn't need anything to be joyful. He doesn't need to participate in something to be joyful. He is joyful in the essence of who he is in his being. 
And the most mind-boggling fact is that despite the Israelites' complete unfaithfulness to him, and despite our complete unfaithfulness to him, God still invites us. to participate in that joy. It amazes me every time I think about it. And the Israelites saw a glimpse of that invitation as they heard God's promises and God's promise to regather a people and bring them back, that we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 30. They saw a glimmer of that invitation. What joy uh, we can have, though, is we see the full extent of that invitation. Uh, When we look at Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, I can't not go forward into John's gospel where we see the word of God become flesh. God's purpose for humanity, God's purpose for his people His purpose became a person, a person named Jesus. Uh, As Jess read the rest of chapter 8, we saw the Israelites building shelters to celebrate what was called the Feast of Tabernacles, that that, uh, feast of uh, the seventh month. It was called the Feast of Tabernacles, where they would build uh, temporary shelters to remember their time of wandering uh, in the desert after the Exodus. Well, in John's gospel, we see God himself make his tabernacle, make his dwelling among us as a man named Jesus. And John's gospel in chapter 15, verse 11, do have a look at it uh, later on today. In fact, the whole of chapter 15 is, is wonderful. But John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 11, we see that this God-man, Jesus, telling us that his joy, that joy that he has enjoyed from all eternity with his Father and the Spirit, that joy may be in us and that our joy may be complete. How? By turning to Jesus by recognising our need for forgiveness, of our turning away from God and accepting that Jesus' death on the cross was for me, was for you. And Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit, at that point, lives in us to unite us with Jesus himself and unite us to be able to take pleasure and delight in the joy that Jesus receives from his Father. So how encouraging must those words have been uh, to the people of Israel at that time, ravaged by exile, yet invited to turn back to God and join in the joy of the Lord. And that joy, that joy alone was to be their strength. 
what an encouragement that is for us today as God's people. Our strength for life, our strength for getting through this pandemic, our strength for our marriages, our strength for raising children, our strength that we need in everything is in the joy of God found in Jesus. And what an encouragement for those who maybe don't yet know Jesus. That the point at which you acknowledge your sin before God, when that sin leads you to conviction and grief, there is an invitation for you to accept Jesus' forgiveness and experience the joy of the Lord. It's amazing. And that's our strength for the rest of this day, for the rest of this week, and for the rest of our lives. Don't stop looking to Jesus. I'm going to pray quickly and then I'm going to invite Inshira to come up and lead us in a prayer as well. Our Father, thank you that in Jesus... your joy becomes our joy. Thank you that that is the strength that we need in each moment. Thank you that it's not a strength that we have to summon up ourselves, it's a strength that you invite us into. We pray, Lord, for a hunger for your word. We pray that as we, as we read your word, your spirit would engage our hearts and lead us to worship. Convict us where we need convicting, but that it would bring us joy because it points to our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, yeah, I'm going to invite Inshira to come up. She'll lead us in a prayer. Father God, remain at your hand on your people through all centuries and even to this day. You know us, you call us, you deliver us, you count us, you love us, each one of, of all of us, together as your people. Thank you that from the beginning you spoke to your people and gave them your word. Thank you that faithful men like Moses wrote it down through inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that through this word, you reveal yourself and your plan to redeem us. Thank you that you make us able to hear and understand this word with the help of your spirit as we, we, as we read and study and seek you with all our hearts. Thank you for good teachers and leaders to help us understand your word. May we more and more love to hear your voice in your word. May we listen well, understand more and more, obey more and more, and as a result, know more and more joy. In the pages of the Bible, from beginning to end, may we see more and more clearly the Lord, the Lord Jesus, the word 
who from the beginning was God and was with God, through whom all things were created. We worship you, Lord God. As your people, we praise you for your plan to redeem us revealed in your word. We lift up Jesus and pray in his name. Amen. <laughs> 